Sporting dog adventures run. That boy, run. was awesome. Everything you Good need boy. is here. here under the sun. Everything you need is here under the sun. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Side Acres Retrievers. Whether you're looking for training, boarding, stud dogs, or a black, yellow, or chocolate Labrador Retriever puppy, please check us out at SoggyAcres.com. Remember, everyone deserves a Soggy Dog. And while we're at it, please find us on your platform, give us a five-star rating, share us with your friends, thumbs up, follow it, whatever you can do to help spread our love for dogs. And honestly, the best thing you could do would be just to share it with your friends and family. Share the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast so we can get more people involved with dogs and dogs in the field. Hey, welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Fuller, and here with my lovely wife, Kate. Hello. So Kate and I wanted to talk to you about a few topics. We actually have Memphis, who is the co-host of the show. He's about to climb on my lap. Uh, we wanted to talk about feeding and then about supplements of your dog. It's the off season, so it's a good time to go over nutrition and what we can do for the dogs. Yep. So we wanted to talk about um, things to do and not do while your dog is trying to eat, and then things you can actually do to supplement your dog's diet. We talk about, <laughs> here she comes. Here she comes. All right, Hello. this is Memphis. She is the <laughs> co-host of the show, so. And she, food is her favorite topic. She does so, like to talk about food. She's now climbed on our lap. Ah, okay. All right. All right. We actually had to move the, the computer over because we knew she was going to do this and she was going to kick it over. Yes, Memphis is. <laughs> she's quite the star, actually. She uh, has a following when we were doing Facebook Lives during the pandemic. Uh, she was part of the co-hosting. And everyone always wanted to see her, which she was never shy about jumping up, which I got an itchy nose now because <laughs> dog hair. But anyway, we're going to talk about feeding. So when we talk about feeding, the first thing you got to do is find a good food. And we always like to find after a puppy is at six months. So when they're up to a puppy, find yourself a good large breed puppy food. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be super expensive, but a mid-range food that you'd find at like Tractor Supply, Fleet Farm, PetSmart, Petco, something like that. And then once they transition to an adult food, we actually switch to a food that is in a 26% protein, 12% fat type range. Mm -hmm. um, large breed dogs like Labrador Retrievers put on mass very quickly. So a lot of times um, people will say, oh no, you don't need to switch until they're a year. We actually make the switch at six months so that they don't put on too much mass too soon where it would really strain their joints. Memphis, uh, she is, actually uh what are we memphis we're 50 pounds and what we always try to tell people too is not humanize the weight on your dog memphis as a dog is 50 pounds so if she was five pounds overweight people would say well it's only five pounds 10 pounds overweight well she's 10 pounds but you have to look at it as percentage memphis at 10 pounds overweight is 20 percent overweight which is like me being 40 40 pounds heavier than i am now right so when we look at the health of the dog, we want to make sure that we're doing portion control. We have a good food. I always go with the chicken based. And then as far as other feeding instructions, I know we've had some different conversations with uh, people here in the past that Kate wanted to talk about, which is some tips. Yeah, different clients that have come to us with different questions and concerns. Um, labs being you know, super um, food motivated, labs with being food aggressive, 
um, and other drugs the same. Um, yes, labs would pretty much eat themselves to death, literally, if you let them to their own devices. Um, they like to generally eat very quickly. Um, sometimes it's obnoxious how quickly they eat, and she is the worst one in our whole household. Yes. She is terrible. Um, but what we tell people is basically like, you know, first measure out their food so you know you're, that they're getting the exact amount every single time that it's controlled. But two, like, don't mess with them when they're eating. Measure it out, put it in their bowl. You can crate them while they eat. Um, you can put them in another room, whatever it is you need to do, but don't mess with them. And, and don't let your children mess with them. And, and honestly, don't let other dogs mess with them. No. We always separate dogs. When I have dogs that come into uh, the kennel uh, for boarding, people say, well, you can keep them together, which is fine. I still feed them separately. Mm -hmm. I have seen more dogs get in fights over trying to swap bowls. Mm -hmm. Especially if it's they have something different. You've got the bigger, better bowl. Uh, you try to get the other one's food, or you get one that, like Memphis, who in our house will hurry up and, she eat, can. <laughs> and then she will so try to eat everyone else's food. food. Yeah. yeah. So with Ace, Ace actually, uh, he's laying on the floor. He doesn't come up for the for for the uh, videoing, but uh, Ace actually eats slow, and he will allow Memphis to bully him. Out of her food. What people don't realize is this sweet little dog is actually the thug in the family. She's the thug. So she eats too fast, basically, and then she goes to try to steal. So um, if your dog eats too fast, as people often tell us, there are bowls. It looks kind of like a maze or a puzzle, and you can sprinkle the food into that kind of bowl. It's called a slow a feeder bowl. Feeder. Yeah. Um, is it necessary? I would say if your dog is getting to the point where they're either stealing other dog's food or throwing up because that, they which is come yeah. eat so fast get, that they vomit get the slow feeder bowl we got that for her um especially if they eat really fast and then they go guzzle a bunch of water it's like guaranteed formula for vomit on the floor so get a slow feeder bowl they really work she uses one memphis uses one and they're absolutely great yep and then don't be shy about creating them if other dogs are messing with each other, if the children, your kids, are touching that food bowl, if you're tempted to touch the food bowl for any reason, just create the dog or put them in another room. Give the dog time to eat and enjoy their meal. You know, whether it's and again, you want to correct them if you have aggression issues, but we're, what we're trying to put forth here is don't cause your aggression issues. So don't put them in a position where you are making aggression issues. It's still an animal at the end of the day. And animals have, you know, in their mind, limited resources. That's my bowl of food. They know that's my meal. And they're going to try to protect it or defend it. So don't put them in that spot where they feel like they need to do that. One thing we always get is people have dogs that are overweight and they get the, my dog, I mean, she's hungry, so I give her food. Memphis, that's her, would eat about 10 cups a day. She is actually on one cup in the morning, one cup at night to her chagrin. If it was up to her, she would eat 10 cups in the morning and 10 cups at night, which yeah. wouldn't be healthy for her, but she has broken into the food food room before. We now have food vaults, so the dogs cannot get in there because we dealt with, the dealt with it a few times. No, oh, I'm sorry, folks. Someone's persistent. Someone is persistent. <laughs> so we have dealt with the issue of uh, having our dogs break into the food food room so we, we have food vaults memphis actually would come out and look like a hippopotamus yes a memphopotamus. a memphopotamus so memphopotamus would make herself ill and it's not it's not good for them you want to make sure that they don't get into something like that they can gorge themselves then they drink water they can have adverse effect where their stomach could turn or a myriad of other issues yeah so definitely keep the food locked up those food vaults we have are just 
revolutionary. They're wonderful. If you're leaving it in the bag, you're inviting trouble. They're very common. It was something that even even we we had the bins that top locked and the dogs would just break into them that wasn't nearly strong enough for a lab maybe a pomeranian but not a lab a lab so food driven they can knock it over they're smart enough to knock them over they're smart enough to open the, the flap with their paws yeah the food vaults that was definitely the ticket forward so we have a food vault for each of the different types of food and the other thing is you know, when the dogs are eating don't take a young dog and try to make it into a game or tricks yeah. where you're putting food on their nose telling them to wait uh, you're you're upset because they eat too fast for you when they have a slow feeder bowl and it's fine and they're not putting themselves in a position where it is bad for them medically. You have to not mess with the dogs. No, just leave them be. Yeah, not time to to balance kibble on their nose or their paw or to like let them start eating and then take their bowl away. My goodness, we've heard about people doing that. Like, why? What would you do to somebody if you had a nice steak on your plate and somebody reached in and grabbed your plate away? Like, don't do that. Let the dog eat. So we've gone over the eating. Uh, we feed twice a day. There's a lot of, actually, a lot of food companies will say only feed once a day. I guess there's merit and science behind that. At the same time, it doesn't hurt them to eat twice a day. And I kind of eat like, like eating twice a day. So we do that. We do not feed puppies three times a day. Often when our pups go home, vets will tell people, hey, you got to feed that puppy three times a day. They're only fed twice a day here. They're going home fat, jolly, and happy. Obviously, they aren't going to change once they get to your house, so you can feed them twice a day, but we stick with that two times a day. If it is where I'm taking them out hunting them, I will actually give them a little bit less, and then at that point, you're in, in give them the makeup in the afternoon or after your hunt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, they, they don't have blood sugar issues after the point we've sent them home, generally speaking, if you're sticking with that two times a day, you know, think, and that's what the vets are getting at because certain breeds that is a valid issue. I have chihuahuas and that's definitely a valid issue. And the breeders will tell you this dog is used to eating. And sometimes it's even more than three times a day because it's a blood sugar issue with chihuahuas. Our labs, if they're already on the twice a day schedule and they're doing well, and we've sent them home to you this way, they're not going to regress. They're not going to go backwards in some sort of need as far as their, their nutrition is concerned. So twice a day works just fine. If we had a little bit of time, could we also just touch on different supplements that you could put your dog on? Sure. Um, the most common one or popular one that we use with the labs is the fish oil. Um, it, it, a lot of people do use it um, and they know that it's good for their coats. We use it year round and um, labs in Wisconsin have really the worst of all things. They have the air conditioning in the summer when it gets super hot, which in our house, we put that air on in like May because the labs get so hot so easily. And we turn it off in September and then pretty much it's heating season. So the heat comes on and now the heat's running and drying out the air and drying out their coat. So I have them on the fish oil year round. So it really helps with their coats. But we've also done research and found that it actually helps with other different health conditions as well with labs. So um, do some research on it. If your dog has other health issues, the omega fatty acids in uh, fish oil also can be beneficial for other health conditions. Um, but for sure, their coats. If you've got a lab, they probably have a dry coat, at least in the season where you have the dry air running. Whether you're in the deep south and you've got the air conditioning running the better part of the year, or you're here in the north and you've got the heat running mm -hmm. the better part of the year, or worse off both, um, definitely try the fish oil. That's a and you'll see one. when they have dry skin, they'll be itchy. Oh, they yeah. will actually have dandruff and flake. You'll understand that the dog is uncomfortable. And realize also, if you put a dog on a fish oil type product, it's not an overnight thing. Yeah. You're talking probably Months. two to four weeks until you're going to see the full effect of it. So you, you have to have something that you're sticking with 
and you're putting them on and it's it's a long-term thing so we just keep them on it all year long year round they just get one thrown in their food they think it's yummy they don't spit it out i don't do anything with it do not think you need to put it inside something like bread or meat or it, throw it in their food bowl they're going to wolf it up with the kibble just like everything else. correct and you can give them a good probiotic a lot of foods do have that already in it but we have a, a nice solid probiotic that has some other good stuff for the dogs in there for their coat and their digestive system look into that your vet or your breeder that you're buying your dog from or rescue group that you're getting the dog from they are going to be great assets for you to talk to when you're looking at this stuff uh, before you take your dog home and even after if you're having issues mm -hmm. and do the research on whatever product it is like the fish oils they come in different strengths and there's different kind of fish oils and there's different kind of omega omega fatty acids so do your research to figure it out. Same thing with probiotics. You can waste a lot of money. Probiotics can be extremely expensive. So do research on what actually uh, is beneficial to the condition that you're looking at, or you could end up spending a ton of money on something that actually doesn't do too much at all. So I hope that helps. This is our first video podcast that we are going to put up on our YouTube channel, YouTube channel, Rumble, a few other platforms as well as Spotify. We are we were invited to do a video podcast on Spotify. We figured we'd give it a shot. So got a new computer. We're going to try this. It's going to get better. It is something that we wanted to do a dry run on a topic that was an easy topic for us, all, all, all as well as a topic that we can both talk about and then kind of go from there. We didn't know that Memphis was going to join us today. No. I mean, she uh, she made the decision that. She is the co-host, so she is going to probably be on many in the future because once she starts getting involved where she likes to be up here when I am uh, talking to the to the computer, she it, won't it's take not common. No for the answer. No, she won't. She just puts her paws up and she is uh, good to go. So next up, we're going to talk about our gun dog training series, week number three. And then on the last part of the show, Kate's going to join us again, and we are going to talk about a hunting tip, which is... How to groom your water dog. Well, all that and more coming up after this. The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly sponsored by Trupanion Medical Insurance for the life of your pet. We all know that unexpected accidents can happen. That's why I partnered with Trupanion's Breeder Support Program to send all of my puppy buyers home from Cygaker's Retrievers with an offer for Trupanion coverage. Learn more about Trupanion and sign up for their free Breeder Support Program by visiting trupanion.com breeder. Be sure to tell them that Sporting Dog Adventures sent you. If you're into reloading, whether it's metallic or shot shell, and you want a great company that also gives you clay target throwers, please check out MacOutdoors.com. They have quality made products that you need. It is something that you can use the clay thrower and then come in and as a family, reload your shells. It is a lot of fun that we enjoy every summer. Please check out Mac Outdoors. Hey, welcome back to Sporting Dog Adventures Podcast. We are on the training tip, and the training tip is going to be week three of our gun dog training series. Now, this again, if you haven't watched, we're doing a gun dog training series that is going to start on week one and go all the way through 
three months. So basically a 12 week program that is going to, I don't have anything written down. The easiest way for me to do this is just talk about what we work on during that week. So that's what we're going to do. We went from where we started with our prong collar and working in obedience. We've slowly transitioned to the point where we are working at the knee collar. We also in the first week got up onto our conditioned retrieve table doing our retrieve work. And we are now after second week of doing a full week on the table, this week is a week that we come off the table. We went from where during conditioned retrieve, we're using an ear pinch stimulus to condition the dog to understand they have to have something in their mouth or there's a negative response to we actually started working with an e-collar only on the uh, conditioned retrieve so that the dog understands that if they put something in their mouth immediately and quickly, they don't get corrected by the collar. So it's a transition process where we are going to take you from unbridled dog that is out of control to a gun dog that can be successful in the field. All of this comes down to in the first six weeks, we're working on control. So again, we have gotten to the point now where we're coming off of our condition retrieve table and we're going to start working with the dog on the ground. Many people think that, okay, the dog's doing great. The dog's holding up on the table. We're giving the hold command, telling him, hold, good dog, hold, hold. The dog's doing wonderful. You're going to take them and put them on the ground and it's just going to continue. You actually will take a step back. When they are up on the condition retrieve table, they are uncomfortable because they're up on a platform. And again, if you don't have a table, you can use the tailgate of your truck. You could use a chest freezer, a table that you just set up, but you want to have them up on a surface so that they're in a position where they're like, hey, whoa, I'm not on the ground. Once you get them on the ground, now they're in that position where they think I'm in control. I can start to really rule roost. So you kind of take a little bit of a step back where you have to exhibit control again with the dog. Once we have them on the ground, what I do, I actually set up <clears throat> a chair. So I have a chair in the kennel. I sit on it. I bring the dog in. I stick my hand under, three fingers under their leash. And then I have my fourth finger out so I can hold my training remote with that, the e-collar remote with that. Get in so that you have a good grip on the dog so you're strong, so you have them under control. We don't want them flopping around because they can hurt themselves, they can hurt you. Make sure they're under control and realize when you're doing your reps for your condition retrieve, it's not about how fast you do them, it's about how well you do them. You wanna make sure that they're good reps for you and the dog so that the dog understands what you're asking of them and you can train them and not put them in a position where you're punishing them. We are trying to condition their response, condition them to pick praise, which is again, remember, 80 to 90% positive. When a dog is holding a bumper in their mouth, you're telling them hold. You don't just sit there and be quiet, it's hold. Good dog, hold, good, hold, good dog, hold. Dogs do not speak English. Voice inflection, body language. If you are normally have a deeper voice like mine, we don't want to be good dog, good. It's good dog, good. Use that positive voice inflection so the dog's like, wow, they're gonna key on that. They're gonna think I'm doing so well. So we're gonna get down to the point where we now have them on the ground. We're gonna work for a day or two, depending on the dog, on the ground, sitting in a chair. And then we're gonna get to the point where we start to walk with them 
with a bumper or with a wooden dowel in their mouth. I use a wooden dowel until we get to the point where we're doing retrieves. It's funny because I people always talk about using the wooden dowel or I have actually it's a wooden bone. They talk about how you should use that because then it doesn't uh, get the dogs to the point where they sour on bumpers. I never believed that. I am a believer in it now. Two years ago, I started doing it. What happens when you're doing conditioned retrieve is invariably, if you do a bumper, about half the dogs will get to the point in your training when you throw a bumper where they'll run up to it or not even go get it. They'll run up to it, not pick it up and look at you like, I'm not doing it, or they just won't run over to it. It's, it's almost like it's the last thing they have control over. They are at the point where they're like, you know what? I'm not doing it. So when I use the wooden dowel, when that is how I'm, I'm working with the dog, it gets to the point where we never have that. They always look at the bumpers being fun. They run out and get it. And then we can continue working with them on it uh, later in, in, in their training and not have that slight setback, which is only a day or two, but it's something you have to deal with. So again, now that we are to the point where we're going to walk with the dog, you want to work with the chair two days. Now we're going to get to the point where we have them. They're at heel, they're standing or they're sitting, but we're going to start to walk with them. But we still have our hand in their collar in the same place so that we can walk with them and still have control. So you're going to start to take have a few steps. If the dog takes three or four steps, that is fantastic if they're still holding the bumper in your mouth. The key here when you're doing anything with condition retrieve is <coughs> if you keep the dog's head up, they are less apt to drop a, drop what is in their mouth. If you let them drop their head, that is when they're going to spit it to it on the ground and you're going to have to correct them. Try to keep their head up, even if it's putting your hand under their chin and it's awkward because we're walking along with the dog, telling them, hold, good dog, hold, good dog, hold. If they drop it, we're going to correct them and tell them fetch and give a collar, collar stimulation. But you're going to put them in a spot where they are eventually by the end of the week able to walk 10 feet or so we're going to start where we are having them walk where we're holding on to the collar and eventually when we still have our our uh, prong collar on we're going to just pull up on the prong collar not where it's pinching at all but just so it's got a little bit of pressure and walk the dog at heel telling them hold again at each of these steps i consider it a success if i get four to six feet on the day that I try something different. So when I try to walk with them initially, I get four to six feet, that is awesome. Once I transition to the point where I'm just using the uh, collar with leash, if I get four to six feet, that is awesome. I'm really happy with it. What I do is I set a goal in my head of where I'm gonna be at with the dog. When you first get down off the ground, it's holding properly and fetching. As long as they're doing that, and I get to the point where they're consistently uh, grabbing the bumper, reaching for the bumper and holding it, that is where I am like, all right, cool. We hit it for the day. Then we'll go and work on obedience, or maybe we'll just have the point where we have a good attitude. We just talk to the dog, play with the dog, and it's not training, but you're actually working on their training attitude. Don't overdo it and try to accomplish 15 steps in a day, I guess is the point. You don't wanna to get to the point where if your step that you want to accomplish is here and you get it done in, let's say five minutes and you're like, you know what? I'm going to keep going. If you keep going step, 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 steps higher, what can happen is if you run into a pissing match and you fail, you don't just lose that step, you lose the entire day. So what I do is I'll have my goal 
It is, I'm going to walk four to six feet with the bumper today. Boom, we'll do it. I'm going to do it one more time. Boom, we do it. I maybe do it a third time. Boom, we do it. Then we're done for that day with that part of training. I don't want to push it to the point where I go from where we're seated and we're holding to now we're walking at heel, uh, holding onto the collar to now we're using the leash all in the same day. I know some people do. I don't like to push dogs through that much because this is something that is not fun for the dogs. So I try to keep it where we have our goal. Once we reach our goal that day, then we work on something else and then we, uh, and then we build attitude. Simultaneously during this week, you're gonna finish up your e-collar conditioning. When you're doing e-collar conditioning, you have been walking your dog, telling them sit and giving them a correction about every three times. We're going to now finish up telling them here, pulling them toward us, and every three, every, every three to five times, nick them with the collar as you pull them toward you. Again, you're teaching them how to turn the pressure off by coming to you and by sitting. That is something that by the end of this week, we're going to just use the collar for reinforcement. So we're going to get to them to the point where at the end of the week, we're using it for reinforcement. We also use it for something called debolting, which debolting is teaching them that they can't run away from pressure. And the way I do that is I actually have the kennel uh, door. I open it. I have them seated. I still have them on the leash. I have them go in. I tell them to sit again. If they don't sit, I would correct them. And then I tell them to come back out to me. Invariably, what you'll see is the dogs think once they're in the kennel, they can run to safety. And you can do this with your house, you can do this with your garage, but put them in a position where they think that they can get away with it. And then you have to correct them so they understand, no, I have to listen even when I'm in here. You have to get to the point where the dog doesn't bolt. And it's called debolting because you don't want the dog to bolt, which means they can run from the pressure. I have seen this with dogs that have been trained improperly. I had one dog that uh, had hit a cow fence when you hit them with the collar, they actually tried to run away from the pressure. This is something that you have to look at it and go, okay, the dog doesn't understand. Work with them on a leash. You have it under control. Again, collars and pressure is used as a training tool to modify behavior, to pick the positive, to pick what we're asking of them. Don't get to the point where you get frustrated with an animal that is scared or that is acting in an adverse reaction because you will actually make it worse. We don't need to punish dogs, we need to train them. So we have to get them in a position so that they understand this is how we turn the pressure off. Whether that pressure is just you yelling at a dog with a mean, uh, with, with a low voice or using an e-collar or a pinch collar, whatever your pressure is, you have to get them to the point where they understand they have to submit and come to you. And then if they do that, you're gonna give them tons and tons of praise. So again, remember your praise. If your dog is seated, good dog, sit, good dog. The dog has been seated the whole time. We're repeating commands over and over again so that the dog understands that I get praise when I do what he asks. If we do that, we get a better training attitude and you're going to have a better dog. So that is it for this week on the gun dog training program. Next week, we are going to start working with uh, shooting around the dogs. And now I will tell you during this week, I, and again, this isn't a program that I've written everything down, but I'm trying to think of everything that we do. But during this week, we also take the dogs out in the dog yard and I let them all run around like idiots and have fun. I just throw bumpers for them, throw bumpers for them. Next week, I will actually start shooting a 209 primer pistol when I'm throwing the bumper occasionally. The reason that I do 
the fun this week is that we want them to get to the point where they are having so much fun with their friends, they are so distracted that they don't hear the shot. And then eventually we get to the point where it's just dog handler and we're doing it one-on-one. -on -one. But first we do it in a group so that they have their group think of, this is awesome, this is fun, and we can get them properly in, yeah, introduced to gunfire. So all that and more will come up next week in the gun dog training program. Stay tuned next for our hunting tip, which is my beautiful wife, Kate, talking about grooming your water dog. All that and more coming up after this. Hey, it's Jeff Fuller of the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. I wanted to talk to you about a couple of our great partners. First up, I wanted to talk to you about DCT Kennels. You can go on their website to look at the great products they have. American made right in Nebraska, dctkennels.com. This is a crate and kennel that is literally a piece of furniture. Well-made, handcrafted, and something that does a great job replacing those plastic and wire crates that if you're like me, you've been yelled at because, well, they're a little unsightly looking in your house. Check out DCT Kennels for a great product. Next, I want you to go to Boucher Automotive in Janesville. They have some great dealerships. That is where my family buys all of our vehicles at Boucher Automotive. We have bought Ram trucks, Ford trucks, my son even bought a used Chevy truck at the Ford dealership. It has great products, a knowledgeable staff, and they are second to none with their fairness and quality product they put out. Please check out Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to the show. So now we are to the hunting tip portion of the show, and Kate is going to talk to us about water dog grooming. Grooming your water dog. Now, I will tell people full frontal truth that I like having a chocolate lab because when I hunt and they're muddy, they're actually not dirty until they, they land. They don't look dirty. Until they land the couch or a carpet. They don't look dirty at first glance. Yeah. No, we have we have a very muddy place that we hunt at and it's uh, where our hunting property is and it's two Gross. properties. One is just, oh my goodness, is it muddy? And it is just, you get back and whoever gets the, the short stick that you're upset with, they wash the dog. So oh. you have to at least rinse the dog off because of all the mud on them. But once you get through where they're not hunting after a trip, there's some really good tips for grooming them mm -hmm. so that you can get them so they're house appropriate. Mm -hmm. And we say, or I say water dog grooming because obviously our grooming tips, we're talking about water dogs and they have a very specific kind of coat. Mm -hmm. It's not all dogs. I'm not giving you rules or tips for here for, you know, Pomeranians or Chihuahuas or a Maltese or any other type of dog, just water dogs. Water dogs have a natural oil that's on their coats and it's supposed to look shiny. Mm -hmm. They're basically supposed to look like, you know, a slick used car salesman type, you know, a stereotype, you know, they're supposed to be shiny, radiant. When you look at them, it actually should have like this this gloss to their coats. You lost me in these car salesmen. Thing. I'm like trying to understand <laughs> your, what a slick your, uh... car salesman. I mean, my hair slicked back. Does that count? <laughs> so is mine. What is that? What, what does that come down to? What is it? They should look like me. <laughs> All right. So anyway, back to the dogs. Yeah. 
So not not taking these and extending these tips to different breeds or not Correct. water dogs because we want to do the best we can on a water dog to preserve that oil, to preserve that sheet. They're supposed to have that. If they don't have that and they have that like fluffy duckling look, like mm -hmm. I call it, it's cute. It's destructive. It means your dog's, if it's a water dog, it means the dog's coat is just like trashed. It would be like haystack hair, as us girls say, you know, where our hair is like fried and it looks like a haystack on our head. That's the equivalent like for your dog. 80s. Yeah, like like an 80s hairband. That's cool. the equivalent. If your lab or your water dog looks like that, their coat's in really bad shape. They're so now, why we rinse the dogs off and we don't wash them off is precisely because mm -hmm. of this. If we rinse them off with just water, without soap, you're not stripping that oil away. What is a good shampoo to use for their coat so you don't strip that oil away as much? Because you're going to, regardless if you're washing the yeah. dog, but we want to do what's best for that. Yeah, eventually, at some point, you'll get to the point where you have to shampoo the dog. Um, certain times a year, the water gets that, like, smell. And so just... Usually like, late in the summer yeah. here, oh, when our dogs swim a lot. Yes. I, think it's a, I think it's a mix when you get dogs. Once you get later in the year, the water warms up to a certain temperature here in Wisconsin. You get microorganisms living so. in it. And I think the dogs get a thick coat. And when they're about to blow their coat... It actually just gets so thick that the stuff gets in there and they just, they smell. They smell. It's like this lake watery, nasty smell. So a rinse isn't good enough. Um, and it also, if you're done with season, if you're done waterfowling, mm -hmm. like this is a good time. Let's go ahead and do the bath. So we're not talking, but maybe what, once, twice a year, maybe. So don't overbathe your water dog. That's like one of the biggest things we see. And then people are like, well, my dog has allergies. Well, my dog has dermatitis or whatever it is. It might be just you're overbathing your dog. Could be. So ease up on the shampooing of the dog once, maybe twice a year. What kind of shampoo should we use? My suggestion is always to use a people shampoo that's sulfate-free. So if you look at the back of a bottle of shampoo, a lot of times it'll say right on the front. Mm -hmm. It'll say sulfate-free shampoo. But if you're not sure, you can always turn the back over and look at the ingredients. And if it has things like sodium lauryl sulfate or sodium laureth sulfate, any sulfate, is a salt. Now, are these, are there actual pet grade shampoos that don't have sulfates in them? Or are you talking about people shampoo? People shampoo. Yep. I just go to. It's kind of like women using the mane and tail stuff. I don't know anything about that. It looks like it's for horses. So I'm probably terribly offending somebody here, but I honestly just don't know anything about it to speak to it. Um, but no, people shampoo. I think a lot of people think that pet shampoo is formulated appropriately for their pets. And for some dogs, it probably is. For water dogs, it's not. If you take those same bottles at the Petco or PetSmart, wherever you're going, and turn them over and look at the back, the first ingredient after water is going to be sodium lauryl sulfate or sodium laureth sulfate. A sulfate is a salt. It is just so it's a one size fits most. Yes. And on a water dog, it is literally going to strip all that beautiful shiny oil right off of their coats. And they're going to itch and they're going to get dandruff and they're going to be miserable. So my suggestion is Go to Walgreens. That's where I buy mine. Mm -hmm. I just go to Walgreens and there's a, oh, it happens to just be a L'Oreal brand that I prefer. It's in an upside down tube. It's silver. It's their sulfate free line. And they have one that's like a rosemary or rosemary mint, something like that. So it's nice because it has a nice fragrance. Um, it's a moisturizing product. Um, I like the fragrance because it kind of knocks down that wet dog smell a little sure. bit. Yep. And it's sulfate. So, now, with that said, we wash a lot of puppies because we give them a bath before they go home. If you have not watched our puppy videos, mm -hmm. I am going to make that part of a podcast at some point. But I digress. 
when we wash the puppies, I always tell people it's like kneading bread. You want to really, really, really scrub a Labrador Retriever because they have two coats. They have an undercoat and a top coat. And if you only just suds them up and rinse it off, what will happen is your dog smells great and then they dry and they smell good. This is horrible. They have that wet dog smell squared. It's terrible. So yes, they've got a double coat. Take your fingers, really, really get down in there and scruff them up. And You've just, seen that really like this. Yes. Oh, people who can see us can see us. People who can really <laughs> hear us can't see the visual demonstration here. But use your fingers to really get down into the coat. Um, you don't need much shampoo. Use more water than shampoo. You know, it doesn't take much. You know, squirt a little on their back, work it through. And then um, what I do is I work in sections. It's so mm. much more effective super saturate like their hindquarter add a little dab of shampoo scruff it and scruff it up wet another area start again it, it's a lab is just too big of an animal and then make sure you rinse them good because yes. you have that soap that is now needed into yeah. that undercoat so you want to make sure that you don't have it where it stays because that can irritate their skin too again dandruff right again just the same thing so definitely do a super super good rinse to get it all out um, but yeah, I use people's shampoo. I know there are sulfate-free dog shampoos out there. They're not largely commercially available. You have to go online, research it, order it. And most of us, frankly, when you need a dog bath done, you need it probably done like today. You don't have time to research shampoo. So it's really nice. Just have a tube of this in your house. It'll last you like two years, you know, assuming you're not over bathing. Put it in your hunting kit. If you yeah. have a dog out where you get to the point where you're like, God, gosh, I got to give my dog a bath. I mean, I've done the Dawn dish, so hell, it's good enough for the little ducks with the oil on them, you know, the little cute mm -hmm. duck. It works good in a pinch, but again, you want to do what's best for the dog's coat. If you have that in your kit, which we do now, have it in my, I guess, go kit, which has all of my vet supplies mm -hmm. and my different things for the dog that bag has some shampoo in it. So it's a good thing to add. And if by chance, you know, it's been sitting around because you haven't done a lot of baths, you can use it on you. It's fabulous shampoo, just use it on you. You're not inclined to buy a $25 bottle of fancy for free sulfate-free dog shampoo and then use it on you if you're not using it up fast enough. So don't waste the money on it, I guess, is the moral so of the So looking story. back on this now, you're telling me that use the shampoo on myself, so that means I only have to take a bath once or twice a year <laughs> and I'll be fine. And you're okay with that. You feel free. If you think you're a water dog and that that suits, you feel free. Woof, woof. Hope yeah. you guys enjoyed our first video podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show overall. Please, if you have questions, email us, sportingdogtv at gmail.com. Share us with your friends. Let everyone know about our show so that we can grow dogs, dogs in the field, and the sport I love. Thank you so much for listening. And God bless. Everything you need is here under the sun.